Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. Hello again, I'm Dr. Michael Corrin, hosting another episode of MedEvidence, and I have the great pleasure and privilege to be with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Lisa Kirvin-Dawes, who is a, a friend of mine from medical school and uh, somebody that now practices internal medicine in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. She did her training uh, with me in Boston and in New York, and eventually practiced a bit in Maryland, and then moved down to Jamaica, where she is both a country physician, helping people with natural remedies, and also running internal medicine at a hospital. So those are two very, very different things, Lisa, and how you do that. But anyhow, we're going to talk a little bit uh, more about things that went from sort of um, natural discoveries or even recreational drugs to therapies that are either being studied or that we use day to day. And um, Lisa has had actually an interest in cannabis mm -hmm. and psilocybin. She actually, you actually gave a really nice lecture about cannabis at the Academy of Physicians and Clinical Research a couple of years ago. I, I learned yes, a lot from that lecture. So tell me a little bit about how your interest developed in those areas and, and what you're doing with it these days. Um, not Other than using it in college. I, I, excuse me. Uh, please edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in terms of cannabis, marijuana, um, we use it in Jamaica a lot for medical reasons. It's mm -hmm. one of the things we actually use for pain. Um, as, as I said, Jamaica uses a lot of natural remedies, so people have always used it for pain and cancer. When I moved back, I realized we had to use a lot of herbs because the country couldn't afford to buy big medicines sometimes. Mm -hmm. So for certain cancers, pancreatic cancers, the nausea and the pain, we always use marijuana, and they allowed you to use it prior to becoming marijuana, become very popular. And then because of politics, politics really try to be controlled. As long as the consultant or the attending in the hospital was taking responsibility, you could use it with patients. So as long as the attending was using it, then the patient can use it as well? <laughs> Teasing. So when patients that, that came by the, in... The, by the way, uh -huh. I came up with that because it was actually an ethical principle in research uh -huh. years ago. They used to say that to protect the patients against the use of products that were not proven, that were uh -huh. investigational, that they, the, the PI, yeah, the principal investigator, can only prescribe to the patients if, if he or she was willing to use it him, him or herself. Or if they were willing. Yeah. Okay. So but that, that, that yeah, was actually true. a concept. <laughs> but granted, though, yeah. what we used it for, and now they, I mean, in terms of cancers, mm -hmm. was really, really helpful. Even now when we use chemotherapy, mm -hmm. we realize mm -hmm. for certain chemotherapy, yeah, mm -hmm. if yeah. you give marijuana, mm -hmm. Um, they actually have less nerve damage. Okay. So they don't have the nerve problems that a lot of people get that have known mm. with certain sort of chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So that's how we became interested. We were using it mostly for cancer and pain in the early days. Explain, explain to people, a lot of people know this, but some people don't, THC versus CBD. A quick okay, so THC is the what people know it as the part that gets you high, mm -hmm. but you and CBD is the part that, that they, and that's tetrahydrocannabinol, right? Cannabinoid. Okay, cannabinoid. thank you. Yeah, right. 
And the CBDs mm. are usually what people think is the one that actually is helping to treat the problem. Mm. However, you need both mm-hmm. in order for it to work. You People say you need strictly CBDs. It doesn't tend to work that. You always need a little THC to activate it. And marijuana probably has over 200 active components in it. Mm. Interesting. So that is what becomes very tricky, and we mm. don't know which ones are doing what. We know some of the main ones, mm. but we don't know all of them. Yeah. But you need both. What the U.S. has done in many places, to call it CBD, you have a lesser percentage of mm-hmm. THC, but it's usually not, just none. Interesting. Yeah, so that, that chemistry is fascinating. So we obviously have receptors in our body that respond to both THC and CBD, and uh, there's been research in the area. We, I was very involved as an investigator, and our organization was very involved in the studies that looked at a drug called Ramonabont. I don't know if you remember that from about, I remember the about word. 10, 15 years ago. Ramonabont. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that was basically something that was being used for weight loss. So we know that marijuana causes the munchies, mm-hmm. and Ramonabont blocked those receptors and was considered an anti-munchies drug. And it actually worked. It worked really, really well to help people lose weight, but But it it didn't come to the market because it was increased suicidality for people that were taking the drug. So obviously, uh, as it helped people lose weight, it also made them feel more depressed. And we actually had quite a few patients in those studies, and a lot of them did not want to stop the drug because they were losing weight, but they also said, you know, I feel kind of blue and I'm not feeling great, but I am at least intellectually excited about the fact that I'm not that hungry and I can control my appetite. So it was really interesting to, to see that observation within a randomized clinical trial that ultimately produced really neat data about how these receptors are activated and how we can manipulate the receptors to try to create some medical benefits, but at the same time, there's a trade-off. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that, I think that was fascinating. But getting back, sorry to interrupt you, but getting back to um, to marijuana. So you use that a lot for 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 pain. Is that your number one go to, or, or do you give uh, opioids at all? Or we give opioids that? now. Mm-hmm. Jamaica is interesting. We do not have a big opioid problem. Hmm. Interesting. So we do not. What's not your theory for that? Uh, we've been trying to figure it out. Um, I think. Uh, our culture looks at pain differently. So mm-hmm. that's part of the problem. It's mm-hmm. sort of um, a culture where you you just handle the pain, be a man mm-hmm. and just deal with it and mm-hmm. move on. So I, I think see. that's part of it is cultural mm-hmm. as well. And we do use a lot of marijuana for pain, but we use it to increase appetite also with cancer patients. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of people in terms of cancer use marijuana and have been using it for many years. Mm-hmm. People are allowed to or used to grow their own marijuana Without regulation. Now they have some regulation that you're allowed to grow a limited amount per uh, household. So the government can get it on the deal, right? Yeah, it's become <laughs> mostly overregulated, mm-hmm. which is why Jamaican marijuana, which everybody used to know about, Jamaican mm-hmm. ganja, you it's hard to get anymore. Is that right? They, huh? Yeah, because it's become very expensive to grow unless you're doing it illegally. Really interesting. The licensing are five to fifteen thousand. Wow, interesting. Hmm. For a small plot. <laughs> how many joints to get out of a small plot? <laughs> 
It's bad. It's it's really is overregulated, and mm. they come in and check. You have to have electric fences, mm. the security, I and see. the average person that was growing marijuana, the poor ganja per, um, farmer, can't do that. Yeah, it's out sense. of business. Yeah, interesting. Yes, yeah, the the downside of regulation is you can sometimes take away the means of of survival for people in in prosperity. So okay, so let's move to psilocybin. So tell tell me how you, you use that. Magic mushrooms. Magic mushrooms. Yeah, there we go. Well, it is not illegal in Jamaica. Well, mm. I hear in the U.S. it is. Um, yeah, I, I think it is pretty illegal here. Right. So in Jamaica, it's not. It's just not regulated. So people mm. are trying to do it quietly so it doesn't get regulated. Mm-hmm. But people have used magic mushrooms to, they go on a retreat mm. and... They take the mushrooms and then they have certain insights Mm -hmm. into what's really been bothering them. So people say like a week of going on a retreat of mushrooms, somebody has said is equal to 20 years of therapy. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It does put you, I have tried it in another Mm -hmm. state of Mm -hmm. mind Mm -hmm. and things that you haven't thought about in years, it does bring up. It is a psychedelic, so people can see things. Mm -hmm. People, I don't think people should do it on their own unless they know and have done it before Mm -hmm. because it can make people see things and be very afraid. You need proper support Mm -hmm. of what's going on with you. But in fact, there are a number of American retreats in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, doing psychedelic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I have friends who run so, programs. So how would you guide somebody uh, in terms of this? Is it? Do you know how much psilocybin people are getting per mushroom? Or has depends that, you, on the mushroom. Okay, so it depends on the mm-hmm. mushroom. Mm-hmm. There are certain grams, and it well. Okay, this is a thing that's not regulated well. Mm-hmm. So you find most of the people that run their own sites favor certain types of mushrooms. They all don't use the same ones. Mm. And so the amount of grams you get, and Mm. usually now they're a little better and measuring it in terms of grams. Mm -hmm. But it will differ per each person and your tolerance. So they'll start lower, see how you react, and then go up. I see. So how long do you have to assess somebody's response like give me get a little bit more explicit you know the okay so when you take it most people you'll start to see a response in about three hours to okay. three hours so you, you start with like a half mushroom or no they come gr- in pills about okay. five grams <laughs> okay five gram pill okay but it really depends mm. on you can anyway from 0.5 some people start with one milligram some mm. people start with two mm-hmm. it really depends on the person so, so when you when you prescribe that for somebody who's uh, say has PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder, and they they say, uh, Doctor Dawes, um, I I heard that you're the expert on helping people with this. Um, I'm, I'm talking to a therapist. I'm not getting anywhere. I see these flashbacks of the government taking over my marijuana farm, and 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 I need your help. So, tell me how you would you would address that patient. Um, usually if they're interested in psilocybin therapy for PTSD, I wouldn't recommend you just start that on their own. They actually mm. need to go into a treatment program and actually be there with a number of people in case there are people that can have psychotic episodes. Okay. So it's not something you would, you wouldn't give them a you prescription, don't prescription for no, you don't uh, two do milligrams of no. uh, magic mushrooms. No. Okay. But you have a dispensary that you would trust? 
to yes uh, we have mm-hmm. there are a few dispensaries in Jamaica yes mm-hmm. and so how about a friend of yours that um, you know is be a little bit off the grid and say you know I'm really having a hard time I was wondering if you know maybe a mushroom weekend can yeah, we have people mm. there. We have people we can refer to. Okay. Because you want to have people that if something happens, they mm. know how to deal with it. Okay. So you, you would advise them to be with other people? Um, usually, most of the retreats are with anywhere from 10 people altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, should, you wouldn't advise it uh, staying home on the weekend with your partner? And taking two milligrams of mushrooms. No, it it shouldn't be done with somebody who doesn't know anything about okay. mushroom therapy. So the the consequences are severe enough where it should be done in some sort of group setting where there's people you need around. support. Okay. Yes, right. but the thing is because you don't know who is gonna. You have some people that go through it and they're quite mild, mm. and there are other people that just go off. And right. when you're taking it's it, unpredictable. Yeah, so you're you can't predict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so and I, you want somebody there when you're seeing certain things can help you to interpret it because mm-hmm. people do see things, mm-hmm. yeah, and to sort of help with the interpretation and be supportive. So it has to be someone that they trust as well. So no, not recommended mm-hmm. to do it on your own, even if you have access, unless you're very experienced. It's interesting. Yeah, it, it it's definitely unpredictable. Now I know there are clinical trials that are looking at it. I know I brought up PTSD because I know specifically there have been some trials talking about that as a um, potential um, uh, potential problem that would particularly respond well to psilocybin. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's been also looked at for severe depression. Um, and, you know, having gone to college in the United States, I also have some experience with um, some college kids that took it. In fact, my college roommate uh, took mushrooms when we were senior. He'll, he'll remain nameless, one of my college roommates. And um, he, I don't know what was going on, but he became obsessed with the idea of burying a chair from our apartment. So he literally started like trying to figure out how to get shovels and build a hole or construct a hole that he can put the chair in to bury the chair. And so where this came from, I have no idea. But uh, that was a famous college story amongst my my peer group. But it's interesting, the whole concept of him burying a chair, Uh, if he had someone there who who knows what's going on, they actually sit and talk to him a little bit about it. And sometimes you can get what they're really thinking about. But if the person has no... Because it may not have been about the chair, it may have been about burying a secret that happened, and, and it's really bringing that out of the person. That's genius. Oh, my God. I'm a little reluctant to say this because the insight just hit me on this particular person, but um, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I, it's funny how like you think about things that happened years ago, and you have more experiences, and then your whole insight changes, and what you just said just triggered something. That is spot on. I can't say it in, on camera no, because right, it, would, it would identify the person. Mm-hmm. But now I, I just understand something in a very different way than mm-hmm. I j- just did. So thank you for that. And and so that gets to our, you know, sort of the final concept is how you get trained medical people to interface with non-traditional therapies so that they tend to have more good than harm. And either from a, um, a counseling standpoint or a side effect management standpoint, or a dose choosing standpoint, or a patient selection standpoint, come up with the best solutions. 
and we desperately need more research in those areas. Well, what the herbal guys have told me is that they feel disrespected. And some of them say I'm one of the few doctors that will sit on there, talk to them, mm-hmm. and actually work with them. Um, I think because we go to medical school and because we have done different um, um, training, some of these guys have had things passed down for years, have a lot of experience, have seen what it does, mm-hmm. and we can learn from each other. It's just about respect. Yeah. And they need to feel our respect. They don't feel respected. Well, respect is important, but structured observation is also important. But and, you can work with them on that. And that's what yeah. they are that's well, what they are you thinking. Can. Yeah, and, and again, I, I've been in a situation where you know, people have come to me that I want to do a study that shows this and the other thing. And we always have to tell people, well, how about if the study shows your idea doesn't work? Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared for that. And that's the humbling part of doing clinical research is that as much as we believe in something, once you put it through an objective test, it may work and it may not. And of course, if it doesn't work, doesn't mean that your idea is completely nonsense. It means that you need to redevelop your idea and come up with a solution in which that uh, situation will actually work to, to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Anyhow, Lisa, this was a fabulous conversation. I really appreciate it. I always learn something from you when always we get together. Always a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And uh, keep the good work. And uh, thank you for being part of Two Docs Talk Natural Medicine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining the MedEvidence Podcast. To learn more, head over to medevidence.com or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.